This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Outside Looking In, the series where I talk to 29 people to kind of get a consensus from their point of view on who the Raptors are, what are they doing. So you get to be like, hey, people comment on my my team. That's interesting. And then additionally, we sneak in info about the other 29 teams so that you as a fan after all these these episodes come out as a really well-rounded fan on the NBA at large. And today, the Miami Heat a pseudo rivalry with the Raptors. Maybe it's there. Maybe it isn't. They had great games last year. But to discuss it with me, Nikias Duncan, of course, of Basketball News, NBA, WNBA, words over there, and the Dunker Spot podcast, which is, for many people, the, the goaded league-wide podcast. So I, I'm curious, Nikias, how the hell are you doing? Heck, I should say, probably. <laughs> uh, I am doing okay, man. I'm doing okay, like basketball always makes me happy also it's just been a lot of basketball to watch this was uh, we talked about the podcast a little bit but this was the first full season of the dunker spot and we have flown straight from nba playoff content right into the WNBA season and we're in the WNBA playoffs right now and nba training camp is right around the corner preseason balls coming right up so we're just we're just driving we're just driving we're doing the best that we can having a lot of fun with it though all gas no brakes and I, and I think that's kind of, you know, that's that's the way it always shakes out when when you do the W and the NBA. It's like, oh, yeah, there's never, ever a break from anything. It's just go, 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 go. If you could get kind of there are rumors around that one of the best basketball games in history was played recently. If you could just give me like the Cliff Notes oh. version of that W game. Oh, man. Absolute nonsense is what that, <laughs> I shouldn't say absolute nonsense. Absolute madness is what that basketball game was, particularly the last I'd say just the last two minutes of this game, two minutes of the fourth quarter and then overtime where the Las Vegas Aces outscored the storm by 12 points in the overtime, which is generally not how overtime games are supposed to go. <laughs> but, yeah, the last two minutes featured Brianna Stewart, who is, I think, the best player in the W. She's she had been cold for most of that game. She just turns into a killer late in the game. Asia Wilson is matching her bucket for bucket. There's like a missed travel call. We get a go-ahead three-pointer with under a second left from Sue Bird, who's retiring this year. And then we get a game-tying bucket from Jackie Young over uh, a very good defensive center in Ezie Matbegore, who just does not contest the shot at all, like actually has her hands behind her back as Jackie goes up for the layup with eight-tenths of a second left. And everyone's like, wait, why didn't she – contest the shot she didn't want to foul obviously but it just looks wild and then the aces just blast the storm in overtime but i really can't even do it justice like watch that entire game it is it's what basketball is supposed to be about aside from the non-contest and the mistravel but it was great stuff one of the things about the w is just like the connective passing 
blows my mind, dude. Oh, it, yeah. it, it, it like, it clears the NBA by a mile for me. You see, you see some of those passes where in the NBA, it's like a guy will punch a gap and in the W they're like, we're going to let the ball do the work. You see these passes from like somebody will get the ball under the rim and then it goes straight out to the three point line because they shoot the ball so well, you know, and it goes straight out to mm-hmm. the three point line. And then maybe even you might get like a feedback under the rim, depending on how the defense responds. It's just, it's rapid. The reads they make just fantastic. Uh, speaking of reads, Miami Heat, Raptors, there's supposed to be a lot of read and react between these two teams, but we're going to focus on, I guess, the former, at least to start this podcast, the Heat for many people are in that top three of the Eastern Conference, that contender tier. You know, it's Miami, it's Philly. Well, I guess Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, Boston. Maybe we think about, I guess, the Cavs, depending on how the Donovan Mitchell thing goes. But I'm very curious how you view the the Heat's version of like a contender. Do they belong in that conversation? And what would have to break right for them to maintain that or ascend above it? Um, I think generally, if we're looking at the Easter Conference in tiers, like I would put Miami in that 1.5 tier, maybe. Maybe a little too good for the second tier, but not quite. This is the team that's coming out of the East for me. Like I think that should be reserved for Milwaukee and Boston right now. Uh, I would also have like Philly in that 1.5 tier as well, because like the talent is there, but we just have to see if they're going to stay healthy, what James Harden is going to look like, if Joel Embiid can hold up things of that nature. We're not going to do a Philly pod here, but I think that's <laughs> kind of where I <laughs> that's kind of where I land with Miami. Like they have the best coach in basketball, in my opinion. They have one of, if not the most versatile defense in basketball. They have a strong defensive infrastructure. They have a player in Jimmy Butler who can ascend to that top seven, top eight level when he's on, and we saw that throughout the postseason. And so they have the skeleton of a contender, but there are enough question marks, enough chinks in the armor, particularly offensively to where you're like, okay, wait, it, they're very much, they can do it if they get a break versus they can just do it. And I think the heat fans in particular have been waiting on the heat to make the trade or the signing that puts them in the, we can do it camp firmly. And that hasn't happened with the Kevin Durant talks that went nowhere. The Donovan Mitchell talks that, kind of went somewhere but didn't really go anywhere or maybe an offer wasn't made we don't know there's so much reporting out there who can say um there just hasn't been that move yet and i feel like there's a lot of angst in the fan base because that move has been made but the skeleton can still remains like even got to remember they were a miss jimmy butler three and a couple more breaks from going to the finals this past season like they were just right there and so again like i don't think they're far off but i do think there's a move that needs to be made at some point and so we're not we won't do the the trade thing because I feel like the trade talks have been exhausted this summer. Yes. They, yeah, there's there's been so much of it. So with the roster currently as constructed, is there progressions, developments that could happen, not necessarily likely to, but that could happen that would put you in they can do it tier rather than the the 1.5? Um yeah, like I think there's enough young talent to where you can kind of foresee something being happened, uh, something being made up, uh, like Tyler here in particular. Um, we got to see, one, if he's getting extended before the deadline or if the Heat are going to try to wait it out this year and see if someone else pops open to try to make a big trade midway through the season. We just don't know yet. And that concludes my trade talk for the rest of this episode. Uh, <laughs> but they're going to be looking at how Tyler, Tyler Hero develops on the ball. And once again, the 
I kind of has to go to Bam Adebayo, who is one of the best players in the NBA, one of the best defenders in the sport, a guy that can be used in a multitude of ways offensively, but he hasn't become that firm number two scorer. And because he hasn't become that firm number two scorer, that puts a little bit more pressure on Tyler Hero to be that guy. Or Miami acquired Kyle Lowry last season, hopefully that he could kind of fill in that gap in spots throughout the postseason if he's healthy. But those kind of questions go away if Bam just kind of steps into it. One thing I've consistently said about Bam is that he may not be the best player. You know, there's been a little bit of debate between him and Jimmy Butler, different ports of the last couple of seasons. But Bam Adebayo is the one player on the roster who, in theory, just has an advantage every time he steps on the court. He's going to be quicker than your five. He's going to be bigger than your four. He's the guy that should be the mismatch. And we've seen it in spurts for him to where he just takes over. He has the mid-range jumper going, or he's just living at the free throw line. He's been a high free throw rate guy his literally his entire career. Being dating met to the rookie season. That was one of the things that stood out to me when I was doing some deep film watch on him and some stat uh, research on him after his rookie season. I'm like, wait, why does he have like a 21 free throw rate? That's you don't typically see that. So like that's been there his entire career. I and mean, we've seen when he takes over and he has that aggressive mindset, there isn't much you can do with him. But we also see him searching for guys to hand the ball off to and passing up open mid-range shots and pump faking against larger centers and then passing the ball out. And it's like, if you're going to be an all NBA caliber guy, if you're going to be our number two, we have to have to count on these points. It's got to be 17 to 20 a night. Or at the very least, the aggression to get 17 or 20 a night has to be there. And so that's, once again, I feel the biggest question mark in terms of can the Heat reach true contender status? Can Bam take that step? That brings up a, a few questions for me. Well, uh, One statement, my opinion on Kyle Lowry at this point is like maybe one game out of seven, you would get that. But he exists probably on the Heat to be the guy who, if the other team is transitioning between schemes, Kyle should be on the court to sniff out the advantages that are starting to pop up earlier than other players. And mm -hmm. then also his connective passing when advantage is created is still, you know, he's one of the best in the league. Like you, mm -hmm. you get the defense to shift back to weak side and then he finds the guy creeping in on the strong side. And then everyone's like, oh yeah, that passing lane was there. What the, mm -hmm. you know, and, and hero, I want to ask you about the, the on ball juice a little bit, but the bam thing, it's interesting because the usage sits a little bit, lower but the amount of reads he has to process through is up there with anybody in the nba he's just constantly <laughs> everything's going through that brain of his i'm curious is there an ideal way that you'd like to see him developed or used is it mostly what we're seeing currently or would you like to see tweaks made um i always find myself in this weird spot with bam because depending on which game you watch your answer kind of changes. Sometimes it's like, hey, it would be nice if Bam would just look at the basket. You can't scheme that up. You just got to kind of go and get it sometimes. If you have a mismatch, don't immediately look for the handoff just because that's the read that you're generally supposed to make in the situation. Go get yours. There are other times where it's like, okay, what do they have Bam doing exactly? Why is he just chilling in the dunker spot now? Why is it one handoff and he just kind of spaces in the mid-range area? That's not helping anyone, particularly Jimmy Butler, who also likes to operate like 17 feet and in. That's not helping if you're going to utilize him in that way. Um, one thing that was kind of expected from me, but not to the degree it was, like Bam's assist per game, if you want to look at the box score, dropped quite a bit from last season. And that's because you have Kyle Lowry making more of those playmaking reads when he's there. But like they're... I would like for there to be a better balance to be struck there. But 
a lot of this still boils down to, okay, bam, you just got to go get it sometimes. Like the heat trust you, you are able to operate in as many handoffs and post actions as you do because the heat trusts you to make decisions. If you're being trusted with making decisions, call your number. Like you can do that. You're not the point guard that brings it up every time. So there's a limit, but you're good. You're really freaking good at basketball. You are a walking mismatch when you turn that mindset on. So it's, I think I lean more towards he has to kind of make that adjustment. And like the mid-range shooting was a little bit down from last year as well. So like there's just positive, there's just improvement that needs to be made on his end as well. But it's mostly mindset, I feel like. So you you don't see deficiencies in his game that if he were to start, like the finishing you believe would support that more aggressive decision-making. Some of the in-between shots would would support more aggressive decision-making. Yeah, like, again, there's room. He's not a perfect player. Like, I mm-hmm. do think the mid-range jumper needs to be a little bit better. Like, he's in that low 40s range, which isn't enough to bend your defense. And if you want to look at him, look at it through a more statistical lens, like, that's not enough for it to be a quote-unquote good shot. Mm-hmm. You want him in the mid-40s. And with the way defenses defend him, I can understand where he gets in this loop. Like, okay, I'm open, but also they're leaving me open for a reason. So let me look for something better. But I do think just him being more willing to take some of those shots because he's not a bad mid-range shooter. Taking more of those shots are going to force the big to step up just a little bit higher. That's going to open up more driving lanes for him. And again, he's been a high free throw rate guy his entire career. Like that's going to help get the heat some fruitful offense. So I think there's room to be made there. Um, Of course, I would love to see better finishing against size. Like I think a lot of the hesitancy really comes there to where he's just pump faking into oblivion because he's facing a true seven footer. Um, So more craft being made there um, would be nice to see. I know the obvious one is going to be like, hey, it would be nice if he had a three ball. But like, I just want him to take (laughs) mid rangers consistently before we get there. That's one of the the best things I think is it exists both on the Raptors and on the Heat is that the answer of like just develop a three ball has, well, it also exists on the Bulls. But you look at Pascal Siakam, Jimmy Butler and DeMar DeRozan, who all say, you really think it does because I think there's a lot of room to find, you know, success in like inside the arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tower Hero, a guy who, man, very, very divisive, typically between people's opinions on him. I am a, I think Tyler, I'm not just like a white kid who's like, you know, sees another white guy have some <laughs> on ball juice and I'm like really happy about it. But I do think that playmaking reads, pull up shooting, you know, uses the extra dribble to manipulate when he's going downhill a lot of the time. Like he has a lot of the hallmarks of guys who can take on that extra usage and was as the heat did the most insane thing by having a different leading score in round one, round two, round three and round four, as they went to the finals, which is bam, Goron hero and Jimmy, which is insane first of all. But I I see Tyler as a guy who you can ratchet up the usage and probably not see a dip in efficiency either. I'm curious where you stand on the hero of it all. Uh, I firmly, because I, it's funny, like I got the early rep is like the hero hater because I didn't like the pick when it was made live. <laughs> so I'm still eating some of that. But ultimately, like, I think he's a good basketball player. I think we have to start there with him, which is, you know, not extreme elite analysis, but like he's yeah. good at basketball. The pull up shooting is very important. He does make positive passing reads. He's not afraid to throw skip passes. He's not an elite one by any means. But you are starting to see some manipulation from him. You love the pacing from him. This is why he's such an effect, effective score in the mid-range area. He has the shooting touch, but also has 
he if you want to use an elite skill for him, he has elite footwork. Like there aren't many players in the NBA that have better footwork and better shot prep than Tyler Hero does. And that allows him to knock down the tough shots that he makes. Part of the issue I have with him is that it feels like he has to live on a tough diet to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Um, he has improved his ability to get to the rim throughout his career, but it's not a high mark at all. He's not a guy that if he drives, he's drawing an extra defender. And so that kind of limits what you want him to be. If you want him to be like the official hub of your offense. Um, and again, if Bam takes that step, you don't need hero to be that guy. But part of my, I guess, drawback with the heat, even when they were playing super well during the regular season was I'm kind of worried in the playoffs because once you get to half court basketball, like, he might be your best pull-up option in the half court. And I don't want my third or depending on how you feel about Kyle Lowry, I don't want my fourth best player being my best scoring option once you get into a playoff setting. And that was kind of the setup for the Heat last year. And even though they made it to the East Conference Finals, you saw as much as Boston switched or they're throwing some zone or whatever, Boston played a lot more drop coverage in the East Conference Finals than I think many people anticipated. And the Heat pushed it to seven and almost won the series, but if Tyler Hero was healthy enough to knock down those shots that the Heat got and dropped, the Heat are in the finals. Just point blank, period. And so the fact that Hero was relied on to do that and couldn't because of health, but they didn't have a lot of other guys that could do that comfortably and be relied on and not be blasted on the other end of the floor, which is why you didn't see a lot of Duncan Robinson. Like, that's just a tough dichotomy to have. But back to Hero, like, he is their drop killer right now. And I do think if he's able to get stronger, if he's able to have more of a presence in the room, if he's able to get to the line a little bit more or just get deep paint touches more consistently because he does have the vision to make basic reads out of that, like I think that's that's an obvious step for him to make. And I think he can make that this season. Okay, very insightful. On to the other side of the aisle, the Raptors. Uh, I've done many episodes of this series so far. Nobody has said they're boring yet. And uh, that, that that fits for sure. I'm curious what your broad stroke thoughts are, the flashbulb stuff on the Raptors. Oh, man. Yeah, this isn't going to help the Raptor fan allegations, is it? Um, I would say, <laughs> like, honestly, as someone that loves defense and has dug deeper into learning about defense over the last two, three years, like my professional life, like the Raptors are so fun to watch because they do literally everything. They don't just play zone. They throw out four different types of zone within the same yeah. quarter. Like, well, and they'll switch on possession. Like they'll yeah. they'll go hybrid. Yeah. And so, like, just being able to track all that stuff. Like, I, I can't remember who I was having this conversation with, but I made the point. Like, if you're trying to learn about defense, like being a Heat fan or being a Raptor fan, like you're pretty much in heaven. Like you have 82 plus opportunities just to learn about defensive rotations like why you can or why you shouldn't help from the strong side because the Heat and the Raptors are both teams that aren't afraid to show that strong side help and do so aggressively and then X out behind that. And it's it's a whole lot of control madness from the Raptors. So I just generally enjoy watching them defensively. Um, and then you hone in on the individual players. Like Scotty Barnes is a joy. I am still very much on the OG train. Like I wrote a piece last offseason, uh, did part of my Something to Prove series, like a guy that a team is looking forward to break out. And I thought, like, Scotty Barnes was my – I don't have an official ballot, but Scotty Barnes was my most improved pick before the year. Like, I think he can do it. Like, he's shown enough offensively, shown enough flashes as a self-creator. Like, okay, if he can build upon this, like, you really have something because you know what he can do defensively. But OG's fun. Scotty's fun. Pascal is fun. It, it's a fun group for me to watch for the most part until they get in these lows in the half court. And with how – are we talking about Nick Nurse on this podcast? 
Yeah. Oh man, we the we've been talking about it for sure. As creative as he is defensively, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand the offensive process sometimes. And like I get some of that is personnel driven because how many we have to grab this guy's jersey shooters do the Raptors have on the roster? Like not many. And so that kind of hamstrings what you want to do sometimes. But there are too many funky players for the offensive for the offense from a design standpoint to be as bland as it is sometimes. And this has been a through line through his tenure, I feel yep. like. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I just don't know, like, is there an offensive coordinator needed there? Is it just like, I don't, I would like to see better there. Seems, seems to me like he's a, the term would be a Kyle Lowry merchant, maybe as uh, far as like offensive. Cause that's, that's Kyle Lowry. I, Daryl Morey traded Kyle Lowry and then issued like the Harden ball, Rockets ball, whatever. And he he traded the point guard he needed to exact like his efficiency, the thing that he wanted. The Raptors were consistently like rim three-pointers. That's the kind of mm-hmm. Kyle will make, he'll make it move for you. And especially during his prime. And Nick Nurse got the tail end of that. And now it looks a little funky in the light. You know what I mean? There's a yeah. lot of isolation. And this is something I talked about with, uh, Caitlin Cooper, especially, she was kind of trying to, with her, you know, beautiful basketball brain, is trying to concoct these ideas that, hey, the Raptors score a ton out of the post, like the as far as points per possession, and the episode will be out already, so I'm not, you know, stealing your stuff, but I think it was 1.05 points per possession if OG, Pascal, or Scotty are passing out of the post, which was their most efficient play type, and yet they run no. <laughs> secondary actions for their post stuff basically they're just like hey do stuff you could run and then so of course she was like hey the pacers did this as far as out of the post the raptors have done this in the past why isn't this happening and so yeah there's there's meat on the bone i think that much is clear you're picking up on something real there yeah it's it's very it's very tough uh bridge to get gap to something anyway there's a saying (laughs) that's available there i i brought up Pascal and Jimmy as far as navigating the interior of defenses. Uh Lero, our, our mutual pal, brought yes. this up on the Chicago podcast. And it actually it really piqued my interest. Why aren't there more Pascal and Jimmy comparisons? Not that comps are great, but mm-hmm. when I say that out loud, does something in your mind go, hmm, and then go no? Or does it say, yeah? Uh like I like the question because it's a comp that I literally haven't heard until now. So I guess that kind of blends into the question. Um, Like they do operate in some of the same areas. Like they are there. It's funny. Cause like Pascal gets the means for the spin moves, but I do feel like he's, he's a strength-based driver. Like I don't think he gets enough credit for the way that he's able to create leverage when he gets dropped, when he drives mm-hmm. to the basket. And Jimmy uses a lot of that. Again, it's brute strength for Jimmy. But Pascal's a pretty, as wiry as he is, he's a strong dude. And he's not afraid to get, that's part of why the spin move works. He gets you off balance, but he's also able to get that shoulder into your chest and get Mm -hmm. a little bit of extra space and he's able to extend from there. That's, huh. So I'll explain if, yeah, I'll explain from my point of view is that when I was doing that top 100 series, that was so stupid because <laughs> nobody wants to read a top 100 series that comes from Raptors Republic. I should have like been able to get on. <laughs> but anyway, Jimmy, I think I had him number 12 and this was before the heat made their final run. And my big takeaway was that Jimmy is like the platonic ideal of a basketball player. 
he will do everything on the court except mm-hmm. shoot the three except for some meme games where he's like six for eight or something like that but jimmy is a guy he will screen he will get in the mix he'll offensive rebound he'll pass like he'll make great reads he'll hit a jumper as long as it's not a three he's just doing everything and then defensively has endless utility as well and pascal has carved out a similar platform to perform for himself as well like the three-point shot, he was great from the corners, but how often are the Raptors putting Pascal in the corner? Above the break stuff, yeah, he had trouble. But working on the in-between, the bully drives, the footwork in the middle of the floor, creating as a passer from there, the defense as well, it's not one-to-one. It's not like an easy comp, but I see it as if I had to pick another star who shares the most similarities in play style, I would actually pick Jimmy for Pascal. That's an interesting one. Like that's yeah. Now I got, I got to sit on this for a little bit. You have made me think. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not it's not yeah it's not perfect, but it's it did it did pique my interest. So I wanted to bounce it off of somebody. So I figured I'd wait for the the Miami pod. So you talked about of course how both teams pull off the strong side corner. Both teams mm-hmm. throw a lot of different looks, and the Raptors, uh, as far as this scheme, I think they are a little bit more aggressive, but. Uh, They also have different personnel. I'm curious when you look at these two defenses and you see, you know, both have had very good stretches. Both ended up in decent spots at the end of the year. I'm curious if you could steal from one to the other, what would you want the other team to emulate? Raptors to Heat, Heat to Raptors, anything really? Um, Honestly... Any suggestion I would have, like, I feel like it's personnel based. Like, I feel like I've had stretches where I'm watching the heat, uh, particularly during the finals run, where I'm just like, okay, I understand that you want to switch. Do you have to switch this, though? Like, the screen wasn't (laughs) even set. You don't have to do that. And if anything, like, I I would like the heat to be more selective with their switching sometimes, like fight over. Like, I'd rather see a peel switch than an early switch. I feel Mm -hmm. like I think the Raptors are really good at those. But also, they're just... If they're not bigger than they're longer across the board. And so it's a little bit easier for the Raptors to navigate those types of things. Um, beyond that, do the Raptors care about corner threes at all? Like, I do feel like both teams pull from the strong side corner, but the Raptors very much sell out from there in a way. They're more, they're more flagrant. Yes, yeah. I agree. So, like, if you want to dial that down like 4%. <laughs> then maybe you don't have the early stretch where it's like, wait, why aren't the Raptors a top 10 defense? And then they ended up there anyway. Like that could be some fine tuning, but I always find myself in a loop with that too. Cause I'm like, how much of this is, you know, this isn't what you want to do, but you're trying to make your team be active. You're trying to build those habits. So it may be a little bit extreme first before you can get into the nuances and how much of it is just, this is their habit. And so with the Raptors, like I, I never really know how much, like what side of the aisle they're on in that regard. Um, but yeah, like I think if there's anything to critique, it would just be like, okay, y'all really sell from that strong mm-hmm. side corner. It puts you in trouble against teams that can actually shoot. So dial that down a little bit. You can still maintain your aggression without putting yourself in the bind as often. Like the Raptors are, talk about the fun of their defense, they're able to peel in that aggressively because they close out better than just about any team in the NBA. And yep. that helps when you have that kind of personnel. Like, that's a lot of limb flying at you. So they can afford to peel it off. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, you can dial that down a little bit, I feel like. Well, they, they also don't have Precious. Who knows what it looks like next year? Because Precious not only 
uh, had a lot of success stepping out on guys, but also had a ton of success in drop at the level hedge, like just was a really great and wonderful pick and roll defender, but they don't have BAM. And so the democratic room protection that they participate in, that's uh that's part of the corner thing. And it is, there are coaches, I've talked to coaches who say the principles are the principles. So you pull off the strong side corner, then you pull off the strong side corner, you force middle, you force baseline, all that kind of stuff. And then I've talked to coaches who say, well, who's, who's on the other side of these actions? Like, do you pull off the strong side corner? If it's Duncan Robinson, you, if Max Struess, whoever, right? Like PJ Tucker, all these different guys, you decide based on that. And some coaches are like, nope, the scheme is the scheme. You run it and you try and make up for it. And some are like, well, we'll ask our players to make those interpretations live on the floor. And I guess ideally it would be the second, like you'd say, my players can make the decision. But then that that adds like a, I think a difficult decision-making overlay live in an NBA game to constantly be filtering mm-hmm. through. But I guess good defenses definitely, well, great defenses definitely do that. For sure. But yeah, it's I, I'm not an NBA coach, so I have a I have trouble suggesting to like, hey, if OG has a guy, don't peel switch. Like let OG, <laughs> you know, like OG shouldn't be like, oh, I guess he kind of has like a toe in front of me. I'll filter out to the corner and Chris Boucher will step in. It's like, why why couldn't Chris Boucher stay in the corner? And why couldn't OG just try and stick a guy? Because yeah. we've seen that and that works a lot of the time yeah. that's that's the the interesting aspect are there any limitations when you watch the heat and you're like okay well i guess the switching thing you brought up that's mm. that's an interesting thing yeah some teams switch too much and that's this is what i talk about with caitlin is like switching is not complex it is not the complex form of defense and people think because it's they're like oh yeah that's peak defense switching is lazy well, you know it's, it's- it's the most we talk about drop like switching is the most conservative defense out there. Like yes. I don't think it's described as that. Like drop, you still have a big navigating space. You have a guard fighting over a screen and trying to stay attached to a ball handler's hip, or ideally getting back in front. Switch is just okay. The action's here. I'm just gonna stand in this spot. You're gonna come to me now. And again, if you have a personnel like the Raptors, where you can throw out if you want to, like five different guys between six six and six nine then yeah, that makes it a little bit easier. Or Boston in particular who can kind of switch whatever they want to when they have their bigger lineup in. But yeah, like it's a conservative scheme by nature because you're not fighting over screens, ideally. You're just trying to eliminate whatever advantage is being created from that screen. So I, yeah, I just want a little bit more nuance. And just to go off your earlier point about maybe it's, you know, the principle is the principle versus making those live reads. I think that's why I enjoy Nick Nurse overall because like I feel like the latter and having more okay we help out the strong side if it's this guy but not if it's this guy like those feel like playoff like scouting reports and adjustments generally and the Raptors are pulling those kind of things off during the regular season that's yeah that makes sense and the the easiest example is the Matisse Tybal games regular season versus Matisse Tybal games in in the playoffs I think is the the way to look at that yeah you talked about OG earlier and you and I were in the exact same boat. We both wrote pieces about like, mine was that if the Raptors are succeeding, if OG is healthy, I think he might have a shot at an all-star game. A couple of things infringed upon that. OG participating in workout ball way too often definitely harmed his isolation production and, and other parts of the game. Pascal came back earlier and OG wasn't healthy. But looking back, the all-star 
uh, prediction was probably strong. I'm curious if we're if we're picking breakout candidates for the Raptors this year. Precious is probably the most in vogue. Mm-hmm. The the we have these things, you know, we filter through like, okay, this guy's fun to root for now in fandom, in you know, narrative. It's like OG has passed. He's passed the <laughs> the conversation happened and they didn't happen. So people are like, okay, forget it. It's still maybe on the table. I'm curious what you think about that. Like, I do think it's still on the table. Like from a skill perspective, like he, he obviously has time to improve. And like as ugly as the start of the season was for him, like it was intriguing to see like his footwork was better. Like he could get to his pull up easier. He can get to the sidestep easier. The shots didn't always fall, go in. And when he decided to take those shots weren't always great. That's just the natural process of, oh, wait, I have the ball in my hands more. Now I have to make live reads versus the drilled stuff. Mm-hmm. So like that decision making has to improve. And he just needs live reps for that. But I do think it's encouraging. Like the strength based drives from OG are always going to be there. He's just a tank. <laughs> That's just what he could do. Mm-hmm. Like this is why he's such an effective screener and a role man in pick and roll. Because like he understands those angles. And if you give him the ball on the move, good luck killing his momentum (laughs) when he's driving towards you because he's going to be stronger than you 90% of the time. So like that's there. And it's encouraging to me that the footwork got better in terms of the pull-ups and the steps and the step backs. And so if he's able to blend that in together, I think he can be a more well-rounded offensive player. Now, whether that turns into an award an all-star or most improved player, I don't know because when you have, you add Scotty bars to the mix and he just won rookie of the year, like, I don't think we're going to get a 25 usage season from OG at this point, particularly mm-hmm. if everyone's healthy. So I don't know if you see it in the bot score numbers and see a big leap there. But I do think you can see a more efficient OG. I think he can be more effective um, with those micro skills. And if he's put back in a position to where he's attacking tilted defenses more versus having to set the table like he did earlier in the season, yeah, the efficiency is going to be up. It just gives him more counters in the half court. That's exactly it. I think I'm in, even if OG doesn't progress to the level where he's adding wins by doing this kind of stuff, I don't really care because I thought it was overwhelmingly obvious against the 76ers that Fred wasn't going to attack a closeout. Neither was Gary Trent Jr. Scotty was injured. And you look at a team like the Raptors who they want to be able to attack tilted defenses and they have to have shooting to bend them. They have to have Pascal on ball to bend them. But if they're just going to be stuck out beyond the three-point line, you're going to lose in the playoffs. And OG <laughs> and Precious, to a lesser degree, were guys who would punch that gap and make a read going downhill as a passer or get all the way to the rim. And OG, this is the just let a guy, even if it's not you're not doing the the Bucks thing before they won the championship, which is like we play our style, we know how to win regular season basketball. It's like indulge in the weirder stuff so that you can be weird during the playoffs in a Mm -hmm. pinch. And OG is a guy who I would take those less than ideal isolations. If a, it allows him to stretch his legs, keep him happy. And B, if he's willing to look at himself, come playoff time and say, okay, I'm excellent attacking closeouts. I hit catch and shoot threes. I'm maybe the best roller on the team. And like, I have endless utility in other ways. I've been stretching my legs. It didn't work for me. I'll dial it back and we'll do this. And then like in a pinch, maybe all those possessions are more valuable in the playoffs because I think the Raptors are a playoff team. Let OG be weird and try stuff. I don't think that's going to get you out of the playoffs and see mm-hmm. what happens come you know playoff time. That's that's the the wisdom I would kind of sit upon, I guess. 
I think I'm with you there because, like, if you're looking at it in a playoff setting, ideally, OG, if he's in the starting lineup, which I want to get your thoughts on what Toronto's starting lineup is going to be this oh, year. <laughs> but uh, but if you have him in the starting lineup, OG is going to be getting a team's third best defender. Maybe fourth. Maybe fourth. So, like, yeah, I think he'll be useful during the regular season. Like, okay, here, here are some possessions. It's not, again back to the nurse point it's not like they're running exotic stuff anyway so like if, you, if you're gonna if you're gonna let guys devolve into hey do stuff like yeah let og do some stuff so then when you get in a playoff setting and teams are more prepared for whatever you do run if it's now if the playoffs become can i abuse your fourth best player more the rappers are going to be very well equipped for that kind of mm-hmm. setup because their fourth best guy is going to be like og ananobi who could just overpower you or shoot or drive into you like those opportunities are going to be there. You don't want to win an entire playoff series on the margins to that degree. And it's never going to be that simple, but like that seems to be like some low hanging fruit to grab in a way. You know, that, that video that he got away with it, but he ain't get away with it. (laughs) Yeah. Nick nurse. When you did that interview talking about OG and you said, I just let guys do their thing. You know, if you get a defensive rebound, you can have that possession. Why did people think that was an okay response? What do you get four? A game? <laughs> who who let him get away with it? You know, like, oh, yeah, OG can have these four possessions. Everyone's like, oh, I see the wisdom in that. Four? What do you, like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I yeah, we're completely agreed. If if you get to, like, kind of abuse a guy as far as, like, in the fourth or whatever, you know, you're looking at weaker defenders. I think that makes a lot of sense. But, yeah, and as far as, like, the exotic stuff is, like, oh, yeah, will Nick Nurse – it's not like he has to get super creative and start drawing up stuff. Nick Nurse giving a guy a ball is, like, go to the 45 extended. Yeah, stand there. Okay, uh, if the guy's spacing out can kind of figure out how to lift and stuff, this is what we're running. Mm-hmm. It's not – like, it's not, you know, it's not it's not asking a bunch. So, yeah, I certainly don't mind it. Even if it means they lose some minutes, some possessions during the regular season, I expect them – and especially, like, if they want to run those no-guard lineups – you might as well try OG doing some guard adjacent stuff because it can't just be Helio Siakam like it was. I mean, Siakam miraculously held up over the course of the season. I don't know how. He's like a superhuman. But, you know, you don't want to run Fred down again. Okay, uh, you asked me about the, the starting lineup thing. Can I add caveats or do I need to be a straight shooter? <laughs> you, could, like, you can go through the caveats. There's, there's just so much. Okay, so the biggest caveat is the fantastical, wonderful, precious Achua. That that is the biggest one. So his post All Star break featured per thirty six. It was more catch and shoot three attempts than Gary Trent Jr. Um, but he played twenty five minutes per game. Per game, four catch and shoot attempts. He shot forty percent. That's precious Achua's post All Star bag because. Uh, Precious Achua against an advantage closeout is kind of like a bomb heading down towards the rim. It it was awesome. He had a lot of outstanding plays. The passing wasn't there, but it didn't need to be because they're like, oh, yeah, it's Precious. And then all of a sudden it's on your head. So and a lot of those were above the break, which is the type of spacing that the Raptors in their arrogance were like, you know, for five years now or like we can teach anybody to shoot a corner three. And then the NBA, of course, was like, hey, we got really good at running guys off the line. What now? And they're like, oh, God, okay, let me (laughs) let me rethink this. So if Precious is hitting his above the break threes, I'm it's Precious at the five, like Mm -hmm. all day, every day. And he he just has to hit like 32, 33 percent above the break. And that's what I'm running with. If he's not hitting that, it it just has to be Gary. 
That's that's my opinion. Is that a fair caveat? I think that's yeah, I think that's fair. So in that setup, with the pressure setup in particular, you would be looking at, I guess, Fred, OG. Who would you have in that five? To make sure I'm not so, blanking on anyone. Precious, Pascal, OG, um, Fred, and Scotty. Okay. And that's that's not like the Scotty's in the point guard in that line. Yeah, I got that's you. that's the five. Yeah. Okay. Got How about you? you? From the outside looking in, do you have an ideal five? We let's do uh before we get out of here, let's do uh, starting five, closing five, and then that'll be that'll be that. Oh, that's the fun. Okay. Um man. So I guess starting five, like Pascal's in, Scotty's in, Fred is in. I think you have to have OG in. I think so too. And then I guess the bench thing for me kind of goes into all right, how much do we believe in Malachi Flynn? Do you are you like do you love pro am footage? Is that your bag? <laughs> I don't know if that's my portion, but like <laughs> I like frankly, I just was not expecting the defensive season that I saw from Gary Trent Jr. last year. And so, like, if he's able to maintain that level, like the shooting and even just the pull-up shooting, he's not a he's a two-level scorer to me. Mm-hmm. But even that's valuable if you're getting some sort of if you're able to tilt the defense in some sort of way, like he can punch yep. or close out, maybe not get all the way to the rim, but like he can give you that mid range scoring as well. And so I could see a scenario where you keep him in a starting lineup mm-hmm. and then you just run it up with uh pressures and Malachi off the bench and kind of spearhead your bench attack that way. Obviously there's going to be staggering behind that, but you can do that. I guess for me, like, and I end up right. Well, I've seen quite a bit of pressures with his time in Miami. Then I wrote about his post all-star break last season. Um, so I guess beyond the shooting, where are you at with him as a rim protector defensively? Because like the switch stuff is good. Ooh. He's the he's the best rim protector on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, I should say he's the best at forcing misses on the team. It's hard to parse out who's protecting the rim on the Raptors because nobody does it alone. Mm-hmm. And Precious has really positive minutes next to Boucher, and that's partly because of that scheme. Like they're throwing guys at the rim. Precious is also positively correlated with better defensive rebounding. He is probably the best defensive rebounder on the Raptors. He was the best at forcing misses, but this stuff is because it's that paint protector versus forcing misses thing is like, can you buy your lonesome kind of dissuade guys away from the paint? Mm -hmm. Definitely. I don't think precious is really doing that. Guys are willing to go at him. He's done a great job of forcing misses, and, you know, was way better in drop than I might have expected, although they didn't go for that much. Mm-hmm. It's he's definitely not going to quarterback the defense at this point. I still think he's like this exclamation point among five guys, not this backline, you know, Messiah or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a that's a difficult question. Maybe we'll get we're going to get more info on it to some degree this year. But I don't think that I've seen the film to dictate like a yes or no on that, probably. Okay, that's fair. And I guess bouncing off of that, like, how do you feel about him in terms of fouls? Like, do you trust the discipline with him? This is this is where I would go. Maybe you you start Precious and he's not closing, and maybe mm-hmm. he closes if he's in a good foul position. That that would be the the wisdom because Gary, you know, if Gary that that off the dribble shooting is there. Cause he's been, man, he's been up and down forever, yeah. but if it, if kind of sticks in a positive spot, 
a lot of the actions that the Raptors love to run feature Gary as a moving piece to kind of keep the defense honest. And if Pascal isn't going to hit above the break threes, even off the catch this year, if if OG, you know, depending on what happens with his shot, where he's positioned, Gary may be an absolute necessity offensively. So, yeah, that's kind of I, I might lean off the start to try out the precious stuff just because and then Gary, you know, he can run on the bench and you see how that works for his game. And then so the other we're going I'm going long personally. But the the other thing is like the Raptors love the no guard bench lineups. They loved going big. And mm-hmm. if you put precious in the starting five, you maybe lose that. And they're still in the portion of figuring out if that's real, like mm-hmm. they they know they win minutes or if they're winning minutes because it's a change of pace. That's that's kind of where they're stuck right now, I think. I got you. And bouncing off of that, and I think I'm good on <laughs> lineup stuff. I don't want to go too long on your bot. Um, I guess the only the other thing I have factored in my mind with Gary starting in particular is that going back to the half court offense, like the Raptors do enjoy having their guard screen for Pascal or screen mm-hmm. for some of their big wings. And so I do worry that if you start pressures over Gary Trent Jr. in particular, like it does kind of diminish how much you can do with that. Fred becomes really your only inverted option since everyone yeah. else is pretty much the same size. Um, you're going to have worse defenders on certain players, so you can still generate mismatches, but it wouldn't be as drastic, I feel like. And I think the Raptors need to create as many advantages as they can in a half-court setting. And so maybe that's where I'm just like, ah, is pressure good enough to justify switching all that up? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And also speaks to what the Raptors want to lean into because – you look at them and you say, hey, do you want to just do the bully drive post-up thing and be the weirdest team in basketball offensively by far? Then put Gary on the bench and instead of using Gary's gravity, you lean more into, oh, you want to put a two on OG and put him in a screening action? We're going to, like, that guy's going under the rim. We'll see how your help principles work from there. Hmm. And the the early returns in the half court are that, that brand of basketball is not more efficient than the current conventions. So mm-hmm. they'd have to get better at it with the players and with the scheming. So yeah. Uh, for the listener, we've not offered it towards the back end of this podcast, many answers. Although I think we've posed very interesting <laughs> questions for sure. Yeah. This is, this is the fun of the Raptors, man. We don't know. Just, <laughs> so, <laughs> just a mystery box of a lot mm-hmm. of fun pieces. Just don't know how they're going to come together yet, but that's the joy of watching this team. I think that's that's as great a place to leave it with the Raptors. As far as Miami, is there any parting shots you want to give a mostly Canadian, mostly Raptors fan base listening group? Uh, is there anything you'd want to tell them before we get out of here? Um, I would just say generally, uh, since I have friends in both fan bases, like y'all are just more alike than you want to give credit to. Like, I don't understand why there's a rival <laughs> rivalry, honestly. <laughs> like, I, I feel like these should be the two fan bases that band together more than anything. Uh, like gang up on Celtic fans, if you want to do that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, beyond that, like, again, if you want to learn about defense from a scheme perspective, just become a better ba- or smarter basketball watcher. Like these are your two teams. Mm. These are your two. Like that's really these are the two. These are fun. Um, beyond that, on the heat side, like I hope Bam takes a leap. Uh, shout out Haywood Highsmith, who might be starting at the four this year. We'll see. He did have some fun work in summer league, however many grains of salt you would put into that. Um, the Heat believe in him for a reason. 
And so if he is the day one starter, like it's going to garner memes because the Heat didn't trade for a star. And now they're starting Haywood Highsmith after losing P.J. Tucker. But he might actually do some things. So just keep an eye on that. Beyond that, enjoy your basketball team, man. There's uh, Pascal Siakam was the meme starter at the four. He started the first two games of his career, then went to the G League and did everything. So, you know, there's a route to success for the people who are kind of shoved into like, oh, I'm in a starting lineup. That's really strange. I didn't do this for myself. <laughs> and the team's really great. Wow. Um, Nikias, thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, if you want to plug yourself, tell people where to find you, what you have come forward. Uh, just let them know. Uh, one, thanks for having me. This is a blast. It's always a pleasure to talk basketball with you, man. Like you're, you're one of the brightest minds on here and also just a tremendous person. So everyone should be supporting what you're doing. Um, as far as my self plugs, I hate doing that, but follow me on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> at the Kai's NBA. If you aren't already subscribed to the dunker spot, we're talking, uh, it's WNBA heavy right now, but the NBA season is ramping up. So we'll be getting into our division previews very, very, very soon. So we will be shifting more to the NBA side soon. If, the W isn't your jam, but it should be your jam because it's really good basketball. I will can't overstate that enough. Uh, beyond that, written work is at basketballnews.com. Um, I will have, depending on when this is released, um, I'll have a Mike Conley piece up. I'll have some more WNBA stuff since the playoffs are going on right now. Uh, beyond that, I think that's all I have going on right now. You may not like doing it, but that's an excellent plug. You know, you let the people... <laughs> Um, and thank you for the extremely kind words. Listener, I hope you enjoyed this. Viewer, if you're on YouTube, checking this out, make sure to like. That helps. And uh, Nikias, once again, thank you. Listener, thanks for tuning in. We're going to get out of here. Uh, stay tuned for the million more episodes that are coming. And uh, we'll see you.